How's it going, Zig? Coming in at the top of the interview here. Today I have Charlie Malsbrook on the show. Charlie is um, a local folk force to be reckoned with. Charlie has been running Mike Nights for years and has brought the community together in many ways from teaching and supplying um, places for others to express themselves. And he's just an all-around super songwriter. And this was a really cool conversation. I've uh, I've gone to his mic night quite a few times, but I've never got to uh, really hang out with him or meet him because he was doing the thing. You know, you're up there running the show, making sure everyone's getting able to being able to play and everything that sounds all right and it's not peaking in the venues, not going crazy. So this was a really cool conversation. Um, Charlie's playing virtual shows CLE with Rachel Short Friday, 8 p.m., Anywhere you are, tune in, check it out. Um, yeah, we're going to roll right into it. Um, if you like what you hear, um, please like, subscribe, comment, uh, leave leave little notes that say your opinions, uh, share whatever you want to do uh, on the Apple, and it really helps us get these artists heard. All right, Charlie. A dynamic mic. But I can switch mics too if it. Gotcha. No, I think that'll be fine. Okay. It should be good. I All right. Looking for the best I could because when I did this with Megan the other day, and uh, we did it on Zoom, my okay. audio is absolute crap. Did you do a, so, her mic night thing on Zoom last night? Well, I so I, I have this uh, YouTube channel called Charlie's Open Mic that I've been doing. Yeah, yeah, I've been checking so, that out. Cool. And so I try to do interviews, and so I did one with Megan. And she was my first interview Zoom style, and I quickly decided that uh, I need to record my own audio for my own voice because mine sucked. Gotcha. So. Yeah, it's 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 weird doing the online thing and trying to reach out like that. Like when I... Uh, I'm not hearing you very well. You can't hear me? How about now? Yeah. Is that better? Yeah, that's, that's okay. better. I turned down the master. I'll just be on the mic. All right. We're rolling, though. This is a Zig at the Gig podcast. I'm hanging out with Charlie Malsbrook. We are here to plug your show at Virtual Show, virtual show CLE, Friday, 8 p.m. How has a quarantine been for you? Uh, it's working out. I mean, uh, you know, when, when it first started, I was pretty panicked because no income. Yeah. I'm starting to find my groove, though. I mean, uh, it seems like yesterday, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my God, I've got a schedule in front of me. And my schedule is based on, on, you know, the Zoom times and, and different shows that we're doing. And my wife is teaching from the home. You know, she's set up, she's turned the uh, the house into a, a, a virtual school classroom. Yeah. Uh, what she teach? She teaches special ed. Okay, so do I. Do you? Yeah, yeah, I teach at a school um, called Steps. I teach an adapted music course, pre-K to senior high. So okay. I've been uh, I've been doing the online uh, teaching as well, and it's weird. <laughs> I bet it's weird. And then I'm gonna sneeze in a second. So I'm gonna do that. Bless Pardon you. me. That was a good mic cover for our listeners. I said that was a good mic cover for our listeners. <laughs> Charlie's got a mic hanging from his ear. Um, so the schedule thing that seems to be it for me. That's kind of helped me. Like I don't realize the day you know what time it is because i i set out a ridiculous amount to do like i got time i'm gonna learn some drums i'm gonna learn some banjo you know and like then mm-hmm. i'm gonna spend an hour writing like i just set myself a schedule from day one and like it's kind of like it hasn't hit me as hard because i've just been kind of preoccupied with it i guess 
I, I think that helps. It's just trying to keep busy and and uh, and continuing continuing to fulfill whatever your personal mission is. So, like with my wife, her mission is teaching, and once she's doing that and she's engaged in that, it it really helps her to move forward. For me, it's music and trying to create a, a community where people are engaged and involved and sharing that music. And as long as I'm doing that. I feel like, okay, we're doing what we're supposed to do. When we were sitting on our hands and just wondering what's next, are we ever going to be able to, you know, are we going to have an economy that will ever yeah, work for us again? Um, you know, that's just time to fill your head with panic. So if we're keeping busy and moving forward, hopefully we're, and I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm getting into that point where I'm really, and I, and I, and I also building this uh, YouTube channel that I've been doing, uh, I'm I'm still moving in that direction, you know. Yeah. That didn't change for me. You started uh, the that format. Like, sorry, Don, not to cut you off, but you started that a little bit before everything started to go down, anyway. Yeah, back in January. So I kind of kind of entered the year with this idea that I was going to cut back on a lot of my live performance. I was going to uh, live with a very minimal income right now while I'm trying to build that up. You know, it was a startup. It's a, it still is a startup. Yeah. Uh, so I was kind of in that mentality. So I may have been in a better place than had I, you know, had my entire uh, March and April packed with gigs. Yeah. I, I definitely lost a few gigs, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't this thing where, where I lost every night of the week for two months and I had all kinds of financial commitments uh, that I needed to fulfill based on the knowledge, the, the idea that I was going to make that income. Uh, and I think that's where people get themselves into a lot of troubles. You you look into your future and you say, okay, I've got these gigs lined up. And, and I've got the income to take care of all these, these commitments that I want to take care of. And then all of a sudden it's gone and you still have those financial commitments. And that's really rough on people. Definitely. The, the blind side to everything being like taken away when you kind of bank on it, especially right. when you're doing music. Well, you depend on the teaching, you depend on the, the, the gigs, whatever it may be. That's kind of like, OK, I'm not going to get paid after and maybe not till like a couple weeks after when they send me the check. And then I got, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, you, you 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 plan for that income to come eventually. And when that's all taken away, that's definitely induces panic for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so what brought on the kind of um, the digital approach from, uh, for you back in January? What like was there like uh, insight with like more ways you can be creative with it or new? Uh... It was a combination of things. So I've been living with uh, physical disability since 2010. Uh, I, I use a wheelchair most of the time. I'm sitting in a wheelchair right now. As a matter of fact, I think. That's yeah. actually mostly out of convenience because my wife is teaching in the other room, and this is my this becomes my uh, office or my studio chair as well. But um, and I use a cane from time to time. But as I'm getting older, and after ten years of this, I'm starting to look at my life, and I and I'm I'm going to continue touring, and I'm going to continue doing a lot of gigs. Um, I think my sister's trying to. FaceTime me. Oh. <laughs> I, I ghost called her a second gotcha. ago, and I'll get back to her. Um, so I so I was looking ahead and thinking, 
can I continue to do this deep into my life? You know, yeah. Uh, one of one of the impractical parts of my life is that I've been lucky. I keep moving forward. I keep living, uh, which means that keeps you know all, all the things that impractical. happen when you continue living. So, so for the first time in my life, I'm actually starting to think, well, what if I do live another 35 years? Yeah. How am I going to do that? So I was I was looking at that. I've been watching a lot of YouTube uh, content lately and thinking about how can how can I make music work in YouTube? Because it, it really felt like, you know, unless you were really established or you happen to have one viral tune or something, uh, YouTube was... You'd upload something, and most of your videos would have 45, 50, 60 plays, and then they'd die, and yeah. nobody would ever see them again. And so I was just looking for a better way to engage people and then to also continue my uh, my my goal of, of uh, bringing attention to other artists, which I've been doing my whole life. Um, and all of a sudden, it just clicked. I'm like, Charlie's open mic. That's, it's, that's, what I, that's my professional life, you know. Uh, is running an open mic since I was 18 years old. I've been doing that for 30 some years. Since you were 18. Let's just. I th yeah, I think I was yeah. about 18. Um, Where was the first 20. one at? Uh, I was doing the Coventry Arabica. I did that okay. for about 12 years. And back then, there wasn't anything. There, uh, Gary Hall had a brothers' lounge thing. Uh, the Barking Spider was Martin on Sunday nights. He'd run it. Uh, from behind the bar is real loose, loose yeah. kind of thing. And we didn't really have much in the way of open mics. So when I started that, it was instantly a hit. It was always crowded for the next 12 years. Um, you know, I felt like I was the king of Monday night. Yeah. It, you know, awesome. it, it, yeah, when you're, no one's it was, there. it was big. It was happening. Uh, we had a oh, big yeah. scene going. That's amazing. And, um, and then more, you know, more coffee shops started to open up and, the, and open mic became uh, a, a much bigger thing around town. A lot more people were doing it, uh, but you know that that one was really it was it was a good stable gig for me too, and it was a yeah. lot of fun. It really helped me to establish what I was doing and for me to learn how to do all this stuff. There's so so looking forward. I I thought you know why don't we just bring this thing to YouTube? And I started studying all the YouTube shows and saying. What works? What doesn't work? Yeah. How can I? How can I do this? And I'm still learning it. You know, it's been a couple months, and I was working with uh, a, my a video director, Daryl Branch, um, but he takes care of his mom. There's no way I'm, you know, we're going to cross paths right now because of everything. Yeah, his his mom's in her 90s, and <sighs> we don't need to expose her to anything. Daryl needs to stay away from us. Keep Daryl away. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> it's, well, that's a it's a really to kind of comment on the YouTube the YouTube medium itself is really kind of a it's a it's a weird space right because like you're saying you can work forever you can make a really good uh, quality piece of video a quality video and you can put it up there and like you're saying like you can spend like eight hundred dollars and your video you shoot only got like forty some views but then like there seems to be a thing with like. This is just my speculation on it. I don't know too much about it, but like the more you just kind of generate content, the more like it feeds into that maybe that quality content you have on there. You know what I mean? I don't know if that's the yeah. true. Well, I think it's a combination of um, creating consistent yeah. content is I think is a big deal with their algor algorithms. I think uh, YouTube responds to cr 
content creators that do a lot of that create a lot of videos. Uh, so they always say your first few months, don't panic. Yeah, you know, it's just just ride with it, improve your craft, constantly keep making videos, keep putting it out there, and you're going to get better at it. And as time goes on, you'll start to get traction and people start to notice you assuming you're creating content people are interested in and it's it's quality content for sure so i think it's just a process like you know just like building a music career yeah yeah every every once in a while somebody writes i i can't get no satisfaction or uh, (laughs) love me do or something like that but most of us don't (laughs) yeah most of us spend years and years just doing bar gigs and hustling and selling cds out of the back of the car uh, and and you you're building a wall with sugar cubes. Yeah. But after 20 years, that's a lot of sugar cubes. It's pretty sweet. Big wall. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I think YouTube sort of works in the same way. I mean, you can have your viral hit. I'm not banking on that. Was it? And, and I think it's really the method you're doing with like impl- uh, applying the connections you've already made with your Mike Knight and out of the digital realm and putting it into the digital realm. I think that's a, that's still building that it's a really good way to build that. I guess a greater way to build the community you've already built. And I, f- yeah. I feel like a, any like a type of show or endeavor or um, whatever it may be. Once you start including other people, it grows exponentially because the more people can get involved with what you're doing, the more what you're doing becomes what they do and that just spreads it everywhere. So I think that's a really cool way to to grow from real Mike Knight into digital Mike Knight. I shouldn't say re, you know what I mean by like the next no, step it, up. It, it's it's a different kind of animal. I mean for sure, especially when you're doing YouTube because you're you're it's not quite an open mic really. Yeah. It's a it's a representation of an open mic. Um, and and I'm curating the talent that comes through there and 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 everybody who who comes on I'm looking for a story that I can tell because basically with YouTube, you're making short movies. Yeah. You know, (laughs) unless you're just doing straight, you know, live streaming and and vlogging like this, but. Well, that's a different, that's a different, you kind of sign up for like podcasts and stuff like this is more, my goal here is to show people how cool you are. You know what I mean? Uh So like whoever I'm talking to, I'm like, I got all these amazing friends. I want to share what it's like just to interact with them. And like, right. so that's why this probably won't be as, it's not as much work as a YouTube video and it definitely doesn't use as much gigs as a YouTube video. Like, man, that getting into video editing for teaching online has been like awful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are you using for video editing? I just, I got iMovie and okay. I got a couple, um, so I work at Negative Space too. Have you been there mm-hmm. yet? Uh-huh. I, I use these, uh, like GoPro S cameras. Okay. And uh, I take the guy SD card and a mini SD card. So I take the mini one and put it into adapter and then drop it in iMovie and just kind of edit it from there and record with like a, a different setup audio wise and then kind of blend it. And the streaming thing's a whole nother thing, which I've been before before we got on the phone, I was uh, trying to make a way work because my interface, I had an interface hooked up to an iPad broke. So I'm trying to make my way around that. <laughs> with it still sounding all right but uh as far as like you've you've uh i was checking into you've been doing this since 88 playing the streets is that where you started yeah yeah well i started uh it's, I, I was uh in 88 i went up to madison wisconsin well um, i it... mean i was playing i was playing music but i wasn't 
you know, as a kid. Yeah. I, I was in high school and I was running around doing my thing and wrote a couple terrible songs. Um, I thought they were great at the time. Yeah. I bet they hold you're never up, gonna man. hear I bet they hold you're up. never gonna okay. hear no, they're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got some that are that were written shortly after that period that are that are okay that I'll play, but uh, no, the original ones were, were awful. And uh, and I just I, I felt like I wasn't finding uh, a scene around here. Yeah. You know, I grew up in Coventry, so I was definitely around people like John Bassett and uh and and the guys from Windwards and there there were definitely some very talented people in that area. But I took off to Madison and, and just sort of felt like I have got there's this spirit here that I want to be involved in and I think yeah. I can learn something here. So I went up there, saw some street musicians, said, Oh, I'll never do that and within <laughs> six months I was working with this environmental canvassing group and I thought, well this would be cool because you know, I care about the, the environment and uh but I wasn't a canvasser. I was terrible. <laughs> I, I just can't ask people for money. Yeah. Um, especially if I don't think that, you know, and at that time, I think we were in the middle of a recession and, uh, or we were coming up on a recession, but things were tough on people. And, and so I'd go, I'd see, I'll tell you what, if you give me a dollar, we'll get 20 people to give me a dollar and then we'll send the newsletter to the school. So I show up at the off at the home office with a stack of singles. Yeah, they're like, "That's not what we're looking for." Wow. <laughs> Sorry, you know, I'm just thinking of, of how can we help these people? Yeah, man, and, that's a and tough help gig. the environment, and how can we make this work together? And that wasn't their thing. So they, so we talked about it, and I decided, okay, I'm really not cut out for door to door canvassing. I also found it really depressing. So I just took to the streets because I couldn't find a real job, and um. And started playing on the corners and fell in love with it. Yeah. I mean, it's just such a, it's, you know, you grab your guitar, you find a doorway, you find a subway station, or you find wherever you can perform, and you, you just set up and you start playing. And it's it's immediate. It's fun. Uh, sometimes it's a little lonely, and sometimes you feel a little desperate. But for the most part, it's, it's a pretty cool, uh, you spend a lot of hours out there playing, and, and I think that's when you get good. Yeah. You know? I agree when you really that. learn how to how to do what you do. I think there's like a and you probably can better um, illustrate this narrative. But I think when you're playing, when you're busking, when you're playing on the street, there's a different approach because you and maybe it's like the same almost now with YouTube in a way or Facebook, where you get people's attention for a split second, and you got to find a way to capture them with either what you're saying or how you're saying it, and like, but if not, they keep moving, like. <laughs> And I think developing that craft probably, you know, it takes a lifetime of playing on the street or playing in the corner of the bar, trying to get people to listen. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think of the line from it. I just wrote a song recently. I, I was coming out of New Orleans on a train, and uh, and and in the song there was this this guy who was dancing. He was a guy I actually saw in New Orleans. He was a street corner dancer, um, and and the line was. And I and I was I was comparing music to this train ride, and uh, and in the song he uh, the 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 train stops at the station and then it keeps going, and then the the comparison was for the street corner dancer was he takes a, a very brief break between songs, uh, but he's got to keep playing because he knows that that uh, that if you take a, too long of a break. 
the crowd moves along. So yeah. song and along was the, the rhyme scheme. And I can't actually, I can't think of the actual line right now. I could sing it to you if I could start from the beginning of the song, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> chunky, it's on YouTube. Chunky. You can find okay. it. <laughs> but the idea was, yeah, man, the crowd moves along when you're, when you're wow. in That's between cool. songs. So your break better be short. You got to keep moving. That's profound, keep, man. That's cool. Keep playing. For you, is that kind of to dive into songwriting a little bit? Do you like? Are you? Are you it, it seems like an idea first type thing. But are you an idea guy? Or are you a music guy first? Or are you a lyric guy? It depends. I mean, when I was when I was younger, I was a poet who figured oh, yeah. out that a guitar was a cool way to make the poems come to life. Whoa. Um, who are your? Uh, who are some of your and, poets? And today. Oops, sorry. You know, I can I can sit on the couch late at night and I'll play uh, I'll, I'll find some cool groove on the guitar or something that's interesting to me that and if I can't stop playing it and I keep coming back to it night after night, I know that something's there and I'll let it develop and and a lot of songs I'll write the entire song musically before I'll even approach the lyrics. Gotcha. I figure that the song will tell me what it's about. Uh, the particular song that I just told you about was that came out of poetry first. Um, so I wrote, wrote out the lyrics and then I pulled a, another song that I had written musically and brought them together and figured out how to make them fit. And, and, uh, so it's all of the above. Okay. It's, you know, it's, it's the, all of the above. The song's going to dictate itself. Sometimes, uh, I got one song and, and it's, it's probably one of my more important songs because it won a, uh, Woody Guthrie, uh, Folk it, Festival Award. Yes. Um, um, who remember? Remember who, who we, we are. are. Yeah, I was, yeah. I got my words together. <laughs> and and that one was really based strictly on the lyrics. And I knew going into it that it was going to have a very Woody Guthrie or Bob Dylan kind of protest song. Yeah. Attack. So I I really didn't even really need to think about musically where I was going with it. You know, you got your uh, G C and D and you're set. I think yeah. I did actually CFG, but you know, <laughs> still one, four, five. <laughs> yeah. We, we get the progression. It's yeah. a, it, it was a protest song and it was written in that direction. So, so the lyrics needed to be the, the fundamental. That was what I was working on first and foremost. Gotcha. Well, it seems like most people have talked to like songwriting. They, there's always a different thing. And it seems like music, having the canvas there to put the, the paint, which is the lyrics, makes a makes it seems to be a like kind of a common approach but i like your answer that it's all of the above it can be anything how was that contest as far as like because you got second place so you mm -hmm. won like a, a spot on the festival yeah so the first three spots uh you get you get a night during the festival on the main stage that's pretty sweet um i got a buddy dan weber he won this past year yeah uh and and he's won second place a couple times uh, but it was really cool. You know, Okima, Oklahoma, uh, on July, uh, was it 14th? Or I think for somewhere around there, you know, middle of July, that's yeah. when Woody Guthrie was born. It's not the most comfortable place in the world to be hanging out in an open field. <laughs> it's hot. It's way hot. Um, but it was cool. You know, I went down there and I'm, I'm hanging backstage with like Dan Navarro and, and, uh, and, and Ellis Paul and, wow. and, um, you know, these people who are folk famous, yeah, you know, I, I use the word folk famous because, uh, you know, they're not, they're not, a uh, huge famous, they're not Lady Gaga or something, yeah. but in the folk world, they're the big deal. Um, so I get to hang out with those people and, 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 and 
you know, of course they're regular, normal people. And when you're backstage with them, you're treated like normal, regular people, uh, by them because you're just another one of the people they're showing up to work. Yeah. You know, that's your, that's what you're there for. It is a weird, and everybody was real nice and it was cool. And being a Woody Guthrie guy my whole life, uh, that was huge because it was just a sense that that community had accepted, you know, they liked what I was doing. So it's almost so like this kind of like, uh, sorry, I, I keep uh, getting the lag and cutting into what you're saying and I'm not no, trying that's all right. to, um, so it's almost like this, like you spent your whole life doing this thing, analyzing this guy. And then here's the approval, the approval from the whole community, the approval Absolutely. from the, the validation is a big deal. That's great. Oh man. That to be a that yeah. the, that keeps you going for a couple more years for sure. <laughs> it does, it does, and it was a trip going down there because it was the same weekend as my Kane Park gig, and uh, and Kane Park's always one of my biggest gigs of the year, so I I took the Greyhound down to Oklahoma and then flew back overnight, um, no sleep, and I was I was pretty wiped out, but. Once I'm on a stage, I, I wake up. Adrenaline gets gets the best of me, and yeah, it really doesn't matter how much sleep I've had. I'm I'm playing music at that point. Well, then it's then it's on. It's go time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. everyone's watching. Oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> um, who else would? So how'd that fest? So when you won, you got like a prime spot, or was it just a spot? Uh, you get an early spot. Okay, on the that's stage. a spot, and they. Yeah, and they let That's me play awesome. three songs, which is plenty. Um, you know, they send send you a little check, which you pretty much spend on your air flight. Yeah. Um, and I, I chose to take the bus down because I felt funny about going to a Woody Guthrie festival in a on a plane. Yeah. To me, that just <laughs> didn't seem right. But because I had an, another gig, you know, uh, 24 hours after the one gig yeah. in Cleveland, I had to fly. You gotcha. Know, <laughs> yeah, that's I, I, not an easy <laughs> um, yeah. hike down or up. <laughs> Did you um? What brought Woody Guthrie to you? Uh, Mrs. Nichols. She was my uh, high school librarian at Cliff yeah. Heights, and she. I went into the library one day looking for something to read. And she said, uh, "What are you into?" And I said, well, "I kind of like the Dead and Dylan," and and she said, "Well, what do you read?" And I said, "I like Steinbeck. He's cool." Just, yeah. So she handed me Bound for Glory, which is Woody yeah. Guthrie's autobiography, and I was hooked. I mean, from from that point on, I I couldn't get enough of it. Wow, that's that's how I got into that's how I got into him as well. I'm slurring my words. I heard about him because of the Dylan tune, and then I was in the library mm-hmm. and I found his auto. And like, you can like, he's got his drawings and stuff in it. You know, it's a really cool like insight to like this guy. So that's really wow, man. That's cool. And ever since then, it was like. Is that before you were playing music or during? You said you were into the dead and stuff at the time. Well, you know, as a kid, I I took drum lessons, and then I was in the choir. Uh, I was, I think, I was in the junior high band, but they broke us up because there were too many drummers, and we were troublemakers. Yeah. <laughs> we really liked, you know, you like yeah. the feeling of your timpani mallet against the back head of a trumpet player. <laughs> trumpet oh. players didn't dig it. <laughs> you never did that to the trombone players because they had a wet, you know, they, yeah. they, they can know, get they back fight at back. You. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so so I was doing that, and then there is this uh, to the teen counseling center so kids who had um i had a a truancy issue in high school i guess that's the best way to put it (laughs) and um so they sent us off to this counseling hey what's the matter with you why why aren't you 
acting normal. And, uh, and, and this place is called Rampart. So we would do counseling, but we would also take part in like drama classes or you do uh, work with pottery or, or painting or, um, and they had a full music studio with a, a, a cassette four track, uh, recorder, which in 1984 was pretty, pretty yeah. cool. I mean, we all thought, Oh man, we can, we can go to make, make records down there. And we went down there and made a lot of noise. You know, we, we, uh, do horrible things to Jimi Hendrix songs or, or Grateful <laughs> Dead songs or Buddy Holly songs. I think we did a Cars tune. Um, so we were we were making music. Yeah, it just you know it didn't really have a, a focus yet. It was this this is cool music. And and back then, you know, I guess we were 16 years from uh, 1984. You're 16 years out of uh, 1968. So this music was actually still kind of fresh. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, what was well, big 16 years yeah. ago. Yeah. It's not that long ago, was it musically a... speaking. So were you still drumming at that point or were you playing guitar yet? Uh, I was playing bass at first. Gotcha. So uh, no, we had really a, slipped over from we had drums. Kid, Eric Price, and he was the drummer and he was, he was pretty good and solid. Um, and, and he was probably also the, soundest mind of us all <laughs> <laughs> uh, so i i played bass and and that was you know I, what i learned uh just what i needed by the cars so it's gotcha four notes i think four notes is the whole song and i just yep. followed that and then sympathy for the devil and wind cried mary and it was all pretty simplistic stuff i mean the wind cries mary that's as far as the bass going you're getting some noah redding going in there it gets a little trickier it's not your one four yeah, five six yeah. or whatever that the cars tune is or one six four five doesn't know. but uh <laughs> yeah i mean we were it was definitely becoming a little more sophisticated as i went along but of course but, but not much and then um and i got into guitar i had this uh this youth minister who uh he knew i liked goofing around and i was a, uh, so, uh, a silly kid i liked practical yeah. jokes and stuff so he he was doing clown ministry at going to the hospitals so the kids you know yeah. kids in the hospitals go in there and entertain them and uh so he said why don't you start doing this with us so he drafted me and we created this uh this character dr deadbeat so i was this Sort of hobo clown, Emmett Kelly kind of thing. I think the the hat's kind of still. I'm I'm into the Emmett Kelly, Chaplin, Woody Guthrie. These kind of, you know, these uh, even Cheech and Chong fit into that category. They're heroes because of their, you know, they're just such simple people. Um, so I, so so with that character back at that rap art place, they said, hey, why don't you come in? We're going to do a music night. Uh, we're going to do two music nights. Your band's going to do one night. The second night, why don't you come and do uh, your clown routine in between acts? So, so the youth minister and I sat down. We worked out this routine, and it, we decided since it was a music night, we were going to make it a music thing. So he said, "Okay, here's this little, little guitar, and it's a little three-quarter size uh, thing." And we learned a basic blues progression, and I learned yeah. this these chords and we wrote a, a song we didn't really use the song in the uh in the in the performance because there was all kinds of physical comedy that was going in there but i still needed to sort of have a outline of where i was going so i uh so i did that figured it out and and then really couldn't put the guitar down after that huh. 
I was just like, ooh, this is cool. What else can I do here? What else can I do? What else can I do? That is, and that is the craziest story of how you picked up a guitar. <laughs> like, that that's amazing. That's better than, like, oh, I was just laying around and I wanted to learn smoke on the water. That's so cool. <laughs> you know, I, and the comment on Charlie Chaplin and Cheech and Chong and, like, the simplicity of a character and how so much can be amplified from something that's simple. Because, mm-hmm. you know, just... A simple character can mean so much to so many different people because of its, how simple it is or the simple simplicity of it, if that's a word. And um, they're the little guy, too. You know, they're always yeah. they're, they're kicking the big guy in the rear end. <laughs> Just, you know, literally, Chaplin did that. And for Cheech and Chong, it was, yeah. uh, you know, the guy wanting his hot dog off the hood of off the uh, dashboard. <laughs> <laughs> But just keeping the show moving. There's a thing. The big guy can't move the show unless the other guy is pushing him. There's a dynamic mm-hmm. to it. And there's a rhythm to it to doing a performance like that You f- where the beats fall in. So that makes sense why um, learning the guitar or putting the structure to the song would fit um, fit a fit an act like that. Now, when you were playing it, was it easy to pick up? Did it just click because you played bass and drums? And you're like, oh, I just add a couple more fingers and now I got this whole chord. Uh, I think rhythmically, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, with bass, you don't really have to create chords. Yeah. You're just, you know, you figure you're at your bass line, uh, and you don't really even need to understand. I mean, it's good once you understand scales, your bass world is going to, you know, the fingerboard sure. opens up. Uh, but you can, you know, it's pretty mathematical. Yeah. It's just one note. So the guitar, uh, I think just the idea of forming chords, but rhythmically, I, I kind of got it. It's very good at counting uh, from all the drum lessons because that stuff is just locked into your head. Yeah, you know, for sure. One, two, three, one, and a two, and a three, and a one. <laughs> you know, what, whatever it is. So, so that stuff was simple. And so I just sort of sit around when other guys were, they'd, they'd sit there and play their scales up and down. And I was more than happy to just sit there and play play the drums as a guitar player. So Interesting. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So you're and then, you know, this... as years go on, you you want to you want to develop that further, and so now I'm much more of a finger picker than a uh, rhythm player. And even when I flat pick, my flat picking style is more single note. You know, gotcha. And, and not, I'm not Tony Rice, <laughs> but man, that's where I'd I'd love yeah. to take my flat picking. <laughs> that would be sweet. That guy can he can shred yeah. some flat picking. <laughs> Was it that? That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense coming from like you, because I feel like when people start music, you are as a teacher of that. I see students get overwhelmed, right? Because you're taking in a lot. You're taking in a lot melodically and a lot rhythmically, and to try to comprehend and produce it all on the spot right away is a lot. So it seems like you had this really nice gradual build with that rhythm and that foundation. Do you read? Do you still like uh, read music? You know, I. Every once in a while, I'll go back and I'll refresh. Gotcha. Um, like, I could read the drum music very quickly as far as notation goes. I, even in choir, I used to cheat. Yeah. You know, I, <laughs> Follow the guy. Yeah. The I guy standing it. next to me, I'll just sing along with him, figure it out. And, uh, but, you know, I, I can read it, but I, I, I shouldn't knock the president here. But, you know, when he's actually reading something, how yeah. slow and... <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of what uh, what yeah. it is for me you know gotcha. or, or what was it we were watching a baseball game over the summer and, and it was one of these youtube baseball 
games and they had Jim Tomey as one of the announcers. Whoa. And they said, Jim, can you read the, you know, this game is the property of Major League Baseball and the Cleveland Indians, blah, 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 and all these legal terms. Yeah. And poor Jim Tomey, man. He's like, you know, <laughs> I could swing and hit the ball, but, but give me a bunch of legal terms and have me read them quickly. No way. And that's it, rough. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's the way I read music. That's. I think that's the great uh, veil, uh, removing of the veil. Most, like, musicians sight read slow, and they're more kind of, of a reminder of, oh, that's where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's what I found, or at least that's what I tell myself because I'm bad at reading. <laughs> I'm not the best reader when it comes to reading music. But um, wow, man, that's such a cool way to get into guitar. So you went to Wisconsin. Did you did you ever run into Brent Kirby? He, I think he was from there. I know no, it's a I big place, but I, I'm not sure if Brent is. I'm not sure how old he is. He might be a couple years younger than me. Gotcha. And I could be totally wrong on this. I don't know. I Anytime talk... Brent comes up in these conversations, I feel like, <laughs> I don't know. I could, if I say anything, I'm probably totally wrong. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I, I think the first time I met Brent, uh, we were doing a gig at the garage shop with his gotcha. group. And we had this terrible group. This is back in like 2004. Uh, it was a very experimental time for a lot of the people I was playing with. Yeah. If that makes sense. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> so the music was, it was fun. It was interesting. It was loud, but it was very good. Gotcha. <laughs> um, and there were too many, too many pieces in that group, but we were having a good time with it. Yeah. Well, it goes back you know, to the it's... whole simple thing. If you have too much, you can't really hear what's being conveyed. So mm-hmm. when did you start? When was the first band? So you, you come back to Cleveland. Did you have a band out in Wisconsin? And then when you came back, or no. when you came back? And we're starting to do Mike Nights. Is that when you met people and started doing the band type thing? I, I, I came, so I, I, I uh, eventually worked my way down to Chicago and started playing in the subways in Chicago. And we were coming up on the uh, Desert Storm. Yeah. And 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 the, there was a government shutdown, and I was playing in a subway stop right underneath the federal building. And it was getting cold, and I thought, you know, I'm going to get back to cleveland for a little bit so i'm just gonna i'm gonna sneak back there and try to weather this the winter a little bit and this war and everything else it, it just seemed really uncertain yeah kind of like we are now um so so i got back to cleveland and and uh when the war began i had this sort of panic field you know here i am i'm 20 years old i really don't know what to do with this uh i could get drafted if they decide to do that and we, we had never known war as kids, you know, yeah. we were, Vietnam was over by the time we were actually allowed to turn off Sesame Street and turn on the nightly news. Yeah. Uh, so we hadn't <laughs> known war and, and it was, it was a strange time. And, and, uh, and a bunch of us decided to go down to, and I, when I say a bunch of us, it's like eight of us. We went down to public square, uh, looking to see if there's like protests or something and, and. There wasn't really. So we just hung out on Public Square all night, just rapping with each other. We thought, you know, that was really nice. That was cool. So then the next night when the actual war began, we went down there and uh, we're kind of doing the same thing. And the media showed up and they decided we were protesting. Whoa. And they said, what are you doing here? And we said, "Uh, we're praying for peace. We didn't know what we were doing. I was like, yeah, man, we're, we're more just having like peer sessions with each other. Yeah. 
but they said we're, we we told them we were praying for peace and they said uh and they and, and they had the camera and the microphone right in my face they said how long are you going to pray for or how long are you going to do this and i'm thinking well i guess we should always pray for peace i said well i guess we'll pray until there's peace and uh and they, the lady turns to the camera and she says you heard it they're staying until the end of the war and we're like what <laughs> And people start dropping off tents and food and blankets oh. and all kinds of stuff. And uh, and it was kind of cool. And That's for amazing. the next two months, we lived on Public Square uh, in this in this encampment we called Prayer for Peace. Uh, we we tried to take sort of a spiritual neutral tone to the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, we and we did have a mix of opinions here and there. But but that was what we were doing. And one of the guys who was down there was a harmonica player, a guy named Dave Murphy. And uh, so he and I would just jamming whenever the weather was nice. And then we we formed this band. We called it the Electric Monkey. Avon Baird was the first bass player with that. And then there was a group called Mosquito Mite. And those guys had all come out of, uh, they started playing with us too. Um, and then there was a group called World in a Room. And these were all post, like these guys all started with me. And then they went on and did their other bands after that. Um, so the band was called Chuck Mossberg and the Electric Monkey. We had a good time. We played, we did a bunch of, uh, really cool opening gigs. We did a lot with Carlos Jones, old band, um, First Light, First Light and the Janglers, uh, Jason White's old group. Oh, okay. They were, they were a big deal. And Jason yeah. White's a pretty, pretty big songwriter in Nashville these days. And wow. we worked with, uh, our girl out quite a bit. And Watts nice. Gnu. I don't know if you know Doug Wood and Aaron Freight. Uh, and then the opening yeah. gigs, we had all kinds of cool stuff. We opened for like Jefferson Starship one time. Whoa. And, uh, how was that? The, uh, they were cool. They were nice guys. You yeah. know, they're, uh, they actually hung out and listened and they were, you know, a lot of times you open for people and they do their sound check and you go get dinner and then the same you thing. come back from yeah. dinner and they go out to dinner and you do your sound check and you never really cross paths. Yeah, which is you know, the folk world's a bit, little bit different, but, um, but that was like the Agora and Peabody's Down wow. Under, and and so that that world you rarely got to meet the people that you open for, and, and and they were nice. They hung out, they listened, and that's cool. And and they had dinner backstage, which they invited us to sit down and eat with them. Nice. So, Did you do yeah, it? You get a break. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sick. I, were they? I was, uh... a, I was a young kid and I was hungry. I ate whenever somebody offered me food. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I remember being about that age, and Jonah Coslin, the guy who was with uh, Michael Stanley and Joe yeah. Walsh and all those guys, um, he, he was meeting with me one time over on Coventry, and a, a young woman, uh, Rain was her name. Her dad was a, another folk singer, but she she was working in a restaurant, and she came out and she said, she said, oh, would you like anything to eat? And I said, oh no, Rain, I'm good. I'm, I got no money. She's like, I got you. I'm Aww. like, oh no, you don't have to do that. And she walked away, and Jonah Coslin said. Never ever do that. You're a musician, man. Eat. You got to eat when you can. <laughs> that's that's it's true. Like, All right. That's true. That's good advice. <laughs> wow, man. How was did, was it? Opener syndrome. Play. You know where they're like the crowd. I mean, did they were like, "All right, cool, Jefferson Starship now," or were they like, "Oh, okay, we're into this," or were they people you knew playing like at a? At, uh, no, I think you know people were always real cool to us whenever That's we opened. Awesome. I remember opening. There was a group called the Sampler Samples. They were out of uh, Denver, down at, and the place was packed. 
And I didn't think anybody know, knew us, but all of a sudden, we I think we kind of, uh, in the middle of the first song, we kind of lost track of where we were because we were stunned at how well we were being received by them, by yeah. the audience. Like I turned to the bass player and said, <laughs> uh, wow, man. And then all of a sudden we realized we've we forgotten where we are in the song. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how we got back to it. I think we turned to the drummer and he kind of locked us in. <laughs> <laughs> the guy going back to that guy with the foresight running through everything behind the kick. Right. <laughs> Bring it back. But, We're uh, winning. They won. Now we won. That's cool, man. That's really cool. I played a yeah, lot. Yeah, but of... I think everybody always treated us real well. It was it was fun and, and um, yeah, I, I I love opening. I think you know it's you've got one job to do, and that's to get the audience ready for the next act. Yeah. So if they need to be hyped up, or if they need to learn how to listen, or whatever you know, whatever kind of act they are, you tune your, 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 your show to that. Yeah. And you try to make their situation as good as you can. And you're always going to get asked back. I think if you, if, if, you if you're, thing. if you, if you're aware of what your, your job is for sure. And that's and to warm up for the next act. I think you do a really good job at that. Like I, I watched your video on how to, um, uh, tips for going to your first open mic. And uh -huh. I thought that I thought that was awesome because there's a lot of people that don't you know that don't get that advice until they do it and like if you want it to be so I don't know that's a I think you got a knack for that or you actually developed from all these amazing opening spots. Um, when did you go solo dolo? When did the band kind of hit its peak and then when did you uh, decide to keep doing what you're doing or did you always do you and the band just kind of fizzled? Uh, no, I, the band was really the focus in the early nineties, uh, for the, for the first few years of the nineties. And then, uh, the drummer or another, the drummer and the bass player were having some differences and the drummer had some other things going on in his life that he wanted to deal with. So he, he decided I'm going to step out and the bass player and the other guitarist, uh, were starting to work with a group called world in a room. Mm. And, and and they were starting to make some waves and we were actually sharing gigs so those guys That's would just cool. basically keep their keep their gear on stage and we'd uh you know we'd swap out the drummer and the lead singer that would be the only difference and uh, we, I, we were working on a recording and because we didn't actually have a drummer at that moment we were auditioning new drummers we were working with uh, what was it, an SR-16, the Alessis SR-16, which is an old drum machine. <laughs> and so we're like, we need a heavy uh, snare hit. And I'm like, oh, no, man, we need like a, a nice little brush shuffle. And uh, we're going back and forth on this. What should it be? <laughs> well, the, the deal was those guys were really into U2 and stuff like that. And I'm like thinking Woody Guthrie. Yeah. So... So they're starting to head in this direction, and I'm heading in this direction. My idea is much more folky, and their idea is sort of a, a much louder, uh, more immediate, in-your-face kind of rock sound. Yeah. And I just stepped back. I looked at it, and I said, you know what? They've got a cool thing that they're heading towards. Why don't they go do that, and I'll just do my thing. Gotcha. And so I just downsized and decided I'm going to be folky. Just make that <laughs> make that is. my thing. That's awesome. My uh, video that I'm doing just finished. Oh, pro uh, uploading. That's cool. Uh, no, it's uh, processing. Oh man, so that's ten the minutes too. The ten process. Minute. Ten There's minutes. A, a, uh, Charlie Weiner Saturday is doing a uh, an event on Saturday night, 
and and trying to figure out how to do it and and maintain good quality you know like zoom isn't always that good quality yeah especially uh, sound he said why don't you guys i'll just you know to record your videos ahead of time upload them and then i'll create a playlist and we'll do it that way it's a good idea makes sense yeah. there's not a lot of immediate you know interaction you can't respond to people's comments and stuff but so i sat down and and uh did a couple songs and and uh just finished the process of it nice that's nice. what that bing <laughs> okay i couldn't hear but it's it is exciting when it's done because you're like yes it's no longer half an hour for a 10 minute video <laughs> like yeah it? these things seem to take a couple hours to process yeah yeah it's, it's a lot it can be you know depending on how much processing you do and i've the more editing i get into the the more it takes what are you using? Are you using iMovie or you? Got I use something else? called Filmora. Okay. Um, which it's pretty in depth, so I can I can do multiple cameras. I can nice. do all kinds of uh, uh, fade, uh, zoom, pan. Oh, cool! Uh, I can I can really control everything really well. I can do a lot of work with the color. Uh, I overlay things and stuff, so it, it comes off. I think. Pretty, I think I can get it to a point where it's going to look very professional eventually. Right now, but I think I think actually that's the process in any kind of creative art. Sure. You always look at where you're at and think, I want to be here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and well. I'm here, and then you get up here, and all of a sudden you need to be up here. So, <laughs> <laughs> for sure, but that's the beauty of it. it keeps keeps yeah. the mind going. It keeps you creative and all sorts of different endeavors and always learning about, Oh, what capture card do I need? How do I get a video switcher? They're really that much. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. it keeps you, which I don't know if you looked into video switchers, but woo. well, right now, because we were working with, uh, I was working with my friend Daryl Yeah, and I, I do everything post-production. So we, I don't really need a video switch switcher. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but because Daryl was doing all the video, uh, the, all the shoots, I I didn't really have a camera. I've got my iPad. Gotcha. So when when Same. the when the quarantine went down, I switched over to iPad, and that's my only camera. So and I was really spending the first few months thinking, oh, I'm going to get a nice DSLR camera or something, yeah. so I can I can do a little vlogging and I can do some independent uh, productions that we can incorporate within the show. And Daryl's not around. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, except then there was no money. So are expensive. <laughs> now I'm and, and I was getting ready to sell some pedals and I had one guy. Yeah, this is a bummer. Literally, uh, the first Friday of the quarantine, he was he was going to come by and he was going to pick up the pedal. Uh. And, and and, you know, you remember how that week it was like Wednesday. I think the president gives his uh, his address to the nation. Yeah. Half an hour later, the NBA says we're out. We're yeah. not doing anything. Half an hour later, the NCAA says we're out. Half an hour later, Tom Hanks says I'm sick, yeah. <laughs> and and it seemed like that week everything just started descending so quickly. And I think even that afternoon, when the guy he's yeah I'll, I'll drop by around six. I bet by the time six I, I haven't heard back from him. Jeez, by the time gotcha. six hit, he was like not getting uh, out of the house. I'm I'm not yeah I'm not coming yeah. by man sorry. It was crazy. So I'm sitting how... here with this pedal, and I'm wanting wanting to get a new camera. I'm still looking around. I'm 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 just uh, 
changing my goals, what the camera could be. It's not going to be a DSLR. I think it's going to be like a little can, like a Canon camcorder or something that I can also use for streaming. That would be cool. I think the more, the more, I guess if the quality is not as clear, then you could do more with it. And then that kind of goes back to work in that algorithm. You're like, wow, how's this, Mm -hmm. how's this? But, um, to kind of wrap things up, I had one question about you opened for Crosby, Stills, and Nash. And Young, or not Young. Yeah. yeah just Crosby, Stills, and Nash, yeah. Young was, was and that was there. solo? Uh, yeah, it was at the Kent, Kent State May 4th uh, thing. Yeah. So, and I think that was 2000. So they were being inducted into the Rock Hall. Graham Nash was, uh, he was doing some sort of art installation, I think at Spaces or something. Oh, that's cool. And so I think they were helping him to promote his art thing along with the, the Rock Hall induction, May 4th. You know, they, they're they synonymous because yeah. of their, you know, the song Ohio, although it's a Neil, Neil tune. Um, I never got near them. I mean, yeah. we were hanging around. Yeah, I never got anywhere near. Uh, I mean, they showed up longer. in a van and they were, there was a crowd of uh, cameras surrounding them. Yeah. Uh, we were hanging out backstage and it was a very windy day. And I remember Steven Stills had this, this D 45 sitting on, on a, a guitar stand, you know, the guitar text yeah. setting stuff up and he puts the D 45 on the guitar stand and a gust of wind takes it. <gasps> bam. Oh. And, you know, we we're all st- looking at each other like, Oh my God. You know, we, we didn't know whether a piece of American history had just been destroyed in front of our face or not. What happened? Uh, I think it, it was fine. Okay. Did he play it? I think so, yeah. Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah, this the, the the back room had to go quiet when that went. <laughs> yeah. like, oh. Wow, man, that's cool. And that that was just solo dolo, right? That was just you. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So I just played a few songs ahead of them and then they, they came out after me. That's epic. That's so cool. Yeah. It was cool. It was neat. Uh and the May fourth people have always been real nice to me. I've done their event a few times and um you know the the student organization has been great, gotcha. and and they they care about keeping the memory of what happened there alive, and it's it's important. I don't know if what they're going to do this year. It's a big one. It's fifty yeah. fifty years since yeah fifty since well, I mean, the shooting. I feel like I guess if you got Neil Young there with them, that'd be <laughs> that'd be the next step, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, that it, that's that's awesome that they're doing that to keep it alive. At least I actually keep consider- the memory of. Sorry, what? Oh, I was going to say, um, yeah, Neil Young's great and everything. And when I saw Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, the only reason I wasn't really spiteful about a $98 ticket was because Neil Young made sure they put on a show that nice didn't make me super angry That because uh, the other three, they mailed it in. They, But I think gotcha. I think musically, Stephen Stills is a bigger influence for me. Yeah. Yeah, his yeah. stuff I is just, pretty picky, and he does some open tuning stuff. Mm-hmm. Neil seems like he'd be more of the show guy. He's kind of everywhere and musically. Yeah. He just tries everything, which is really cool. Yeah, I mean, he he definitely drives the sound. But but when I was when I uh, I got into the Woody Guthrie stuff, and then I heard Michael Hedges, and of oh, course, okay. where did there Michael Hedges come up with that stuff from? You you got to go back to Stephen Stills and and Joni. Yeah, to kind was of it? find yeah, that she, sound and both Joni's a lot of. I feel like I don't know how much of Stephen's stuff is all open tune but Joni's sounds like it all is in some weird tuning <laughs> I tend to think Sweet Judy Blue Eyes is probably just I haven't really ever tried to learn it but 
You have to. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on in that tune. Pick into it. Was it? Well, cool, man. Well, well, how do you feel about this? Do you feel good? Oh yeah. I felt like this was this was awesome. Yeah, it's a, it's a good interview. It's a. I don't know how long your shows are. About an hour. Okay, so I don't know. <laughs> I probably put this whole thing into it. Maybe right now I'll cut it out, but. <laughs> okay. But I feel like you said a lot of really cool things, and like, so um, at the end, at the top, I'll plug it, and uh, but yeah, if you feel good, I feel good about it. Yeah, that was a great conversation. It, it, we covered a lot of grounds, and it seemed to flow and and do all kinds of fun stuff. Yeah. Well, it you would be fun re- if we were just playing music this way. Yeah, that'd be sweet. <laughs> I mean, you got a really cool story, man. You go everywhere. Like, I didn't. You're on the board of what? <laughs> Are you rolling? Yeah, I'm rolling. I brought okay. it back because I thought that's so important. So I'm, 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 I'm the vice president of Folk Alliance Region Midwest, so I'm connected to, like, folk people, you know, uh, we were having a, a, a lunch with Tom Paxton a couple of weeks ago down in New Orleans. Wow. Not a couple of weeks ago. I guess yeah, two months well, ago now. Um, you know, these couple of weeks have seemed to fly by. Yeah, it's weird. If you and like, yeah. if you're sticking to the schedule, you know that we kind of talked about at the top. Like, you're focused. You're in it. You're doing your thing. You're you're expanding. You're like you're learning. You're creating. And like by the time you're like, oh, wow, it's midnight now. I guess I should go to sleep. It doesn't really matter when I wake up. But all right, <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's kind of a it's kind of an amazing thing in a way that be financially no, but like self help wise, yeah. Yeah, if you feel of... like staying up and watching the movie a little bit longer, or <laughs> watching another episode of whatever yeah. it is you're watching, and still who's getting stopping you? <laughs> you ain't got no place to go. And getting Although I think done. I've got an eight thirty uh, phone call tomorrow or the next day with the Folk Alliance people. Yeah, yeah, I got one of those too with the teachers. Um, you also teach too. Yeah, yeah, I've been doing uh, Roots of American Music. I had a short stint at a church. Um, yeah, there's this joyful point noise. when I realized that it wasn't for me. What's that? Was it joyful noise? No, I was okay. working at uh, Fairmount Presbyterian. Uh, Teaching their teaching their kids a little choir. Um, Christine Fader actually has taken over that position, and I'm sure she's doing a great job. The kids were great, but there were just uh, scheduling issues that yeah. I I was never going to rectify. So I just decided the best thing to do for everybody was to step to bow out. Yeah. Um, but I've been working with Roots of American Music, uh, helping to teach in some of their programs, and then I do private lessons here. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. There's definitely a thing of being able to step out. I think that's the hardest thing to tell yourself, okay, I don't need to do this. I can do this, but it would help everything if I didn't. Like, I think that's a big, that's a big step to take for uh, any type of endeavor. Yeah, but, it um, was rough because I, I really, really wanted the job, and yeah. I really, and I loved doing it. But there were elements of it that um, didn't agree with me uh, that I hadn't been clear about when I took the job. And then there was uh, the scheduling thing that wasn't quite what I thought it was when I took the job. And I just realized quickly, this isn't going to be a good fit. And this is, you know, and it was disappointing because it was a, uh, it was a church that I grew, I literally grew up there. I mean, yeah. the, the clown ministry story that it's, happened whoa, there. Oh, that's cool. Uh, that's a I whole... got married in the church. My yeah. mother's literally buried in the, ch- you know, they've whoa. got a, a, a columbarium and she's in there. So, um, I was in Boy Scouts in that church, so I was really close to it. And it just seemed like, oh, this is perfect. 
And then three months into it, I'm like, eh, I don't think this is perfect. This isn't yeah. really where I need to be right now. Was it? So whole I'm glad I was like able to admit it to myself, but it, yeah, it's, you know, I, I sort of set my year up too, also assuming yeah. I'd be working there. And so that was not there. Mm, uh, yeah, that happens. That happens though. The whole line of It'd everything. be nice to have that salary right now too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That would be, but you know, uh, the, everything happens for a reason for sure. And, it's it's a it's like I was saying it's a big thing to step out, especially knowing how much of it, it mattered, to, how much of your life was involved with that. Mm-hmm. Like when you were listening but, to everything that happened there, I'm like, that sounds like a line of a song, married and buried, and like it just kind of, <laughs> you just speak song, my friend. <laughs> knowing how how important that church was to me, and and how important music education is to kids, if it isn't right for you, yeah, you shouldn't be there because. You know, you're impacting people's lives and, and you're impacting the um, community that's around that church. And if you foresee that it's not going to go quite as well as you want it to, it's probably a good idea to, you know, help. It helps everybody if you can be honest with yourself. Yeah, I think that's well said. Because just like you're saying, you're serving the community. And if you're not there 100%, they're not going to get 100%. And then everything's not going to be the fullest it could be. Well, cool, man. And Probably... ultimately, they replaced me with somebody who I really trust and respect. So I thought Even that better. was a good deal. Nice. So it's in good hands and it's still rolling. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Well, Charlie, this has been an awesome conversation. I've really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you for your time. Thanks, and Dave. Virtual show CLE, your guys' living room, bedroom, bathroom, wherever it is, tune in, 8 p.m. Friday. I'll see you there. I thought of doing the bathroom yet. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You can't. You can't. <laughs> they're not going to see you. <laughs> yeah, I, I watched Dave Matthews play uh, Paul Simon tune on his toilet a couple weeks ago on Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah. <laughs> Dave Matthews. Creative you watch new the, world. It is. It's kind of amazing, like <laughs> how uh, the, everyone's medium is completely flipped, and like how like. <laughs> everything's interesting again in a way like whoa <laughs> jimmy kimmel's in his living room <laughs> right like, you know it, it could be you know we were talking about 1968 that music yeah. it would be pretty cool to you know in a year to see what comes out of this artistically for sure i think more you know i know are... we're going to be dealing with a lot of grief and we're going to be dealing with all kinds of issues but the art that's going to come out of this period it should be exciting it better be. We lived through it. It's going to make sense yeah. to us, arguably. Shakespeare <laughs> went through the plague. Yeah, right? <laughs> Point. Well, cool, man. All right. Cool. Yeah, thanks, Dave. This has been great. 